You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Kristen Ray Harrington, the pride of Clarence. The Valley Velociraptor. Ooh, Velociraptor. You're the Valley Velociraptor. You're the Inverness T-Rex. No. That rhymes. Inverness it, T-Rex. Yeah. Kind of. These are from great dinosaur nicknames we now have. Our mutual friend, Stephanie McNamara, sent me a voice memo this morning, and she said, hello, Kristen Ray Harrington, and then kind of giggled and said, that's what Mike always says at the beginning of the podcast <laughs> intros. <laughs> So it's catching on. Yeah. It's... Michael, Steve, and Ryan. Yeah. I have to, yes, MSR. The Valley Velociraptor. That's how nicknames come to be, though. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any growing up? Uh, my brother called me Kickasaurus Rex, actually, speaking of dinosaur nicknames, or or Kick for short. The dinosaur themes are going strong here. That's what I mean. Yeah, there's something in the in the air. But uh, today's guest has nothing to do with dinosaurs, but has a lot to do with animals. A lot to do with so doggos. It's a loose linkage there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we we did not plan this. <laughs> uh, this like, is make sure we talk about dinosaurs before we start talking about dogs. Just this seamless transition from uh, <laughs> what we're known for. extinct reptiles into. Into a nicknames, mo- nicknames into pets. That seems we're very follow- logical. Following the script exactly. Yes, we're reading this right now, you yes. guys. You every probably word, can tell. Every word is on a piece of paper, being read to our beautiful and amazing and wonderful audience. Look how pretty and cute and smart they are. Check out the adjectives on this guy. <laughs> I was trying to think of a nickname with the word adjective in it, but it doesn't flow very well. Well, for next episode. So what does your script say about our next guest? Well, our next guest, Krista Keogh, she is someone who has been in the music industry for a long time. That's how I had known her. And she recently, uh, yesterday, yesterday, released her first ever book. So excited for her. Krista is somebody who I've known of, again, because she's been in the industry and just the creative arts in general. Yeah, She just has her, her thumb on everything and is well-respected and known and got to meet her for the first time in person. And we share this beautiful conversation and just so proud of her for releasing this book. Uh, our other mutual friend, Christina Martin, actually connected you and I with Krista to talk about some of the self-publishing details and um we all connected to answer any questions she might have had so it's really fun to see it finally fully realized it's out there in the world it's called dear diary it's me stella and it's a children's book but i think it's kind of for everybody really there's there's grown-up lessons in it we'll say yeah lots of takeaways and it's it's uh i guess ultimately about a dog in Foster care, is that what you say, foster care? Well, the Stella was rescued. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even say that she had the benefit of a, a kind foster home yeah, before that. Yeah, that's true, yeah. 
but it speaks to the really the the journey. I was going to say adventure, but that sounds too positive for really what this this sweet pup really went through to finally arrive with her her loving mom, Krista. And it's I don't want to give too much of the story away. It's kind of a serendipitous meeting, we'll say, yeah. between Krista and and her two dogs. She has two dogs. We don't want to leave Apollo out. <laughs> and it's uh, so her her story's inspired by the resilience that was shown by this rescue animal that was truly meant to come into her life and how much it's it's given to her and changed her and resulted in this creative project even. And we can relate to her story in lots of ways. We're fostering some kittens right now ourselves and have fostered a number from the SBCA and George, the cat we have is who just interrupted our podcast. We were recording earlier. Uh, <laughs> he was a foster who was a, a stray, a TNR cat. They call him trap, neuter release. Uh, and they're usually pretty, pretty wild. George has come around to be a, a good loving cat at our house. The two kittens we have right now are, well, you know, they're, they're more of a challenge. They're a challenge. But I, I see that in Krista's story as well and how, like you're saying, we've had the benefit of going through the experience of being challenged by an animal. Like it really, it teaches you something as a human and you you see characteristics in them that you admire. Bravery in this case with Stella and yeah. just overcoming a lot of hardship, but finding herself in, with a very perfect person. Um and the illustrations in the book are beautiful as well. We talk about that yeah. and how how that came to be. And it's just really, uh, yeah. I mean, we're always proud of our friends when they birth their creative projects. And yeah. this is certainly a, a day to celebrate it's for her. It's out there now. And yeah. we, we talk a lot about it off the bat there, obviously, since it's fresh to the world. And we, we talk about Krista's career in the music industry and how she went from being a ad at an ad agency to working in the industry. So it's a cool chat and yeah, congrats to her and releasing, releasing this book. It's always a big thing to release anything out to the world. And she has worked with artists for so long. She's on the other end of it now, putting something out mm -hmm. there. Yeah. She talks about that being yeah. on the other side of things, which was a, a curious conversation. So I, yeah, this was great. I love getting to know her more and hope everybody enjoys this chat. And before we, we dive into it, is there anything you want to announce that's coming up? Any big projects on in your world? Uh, well, I guess we, I talked about it last week, but, and I'll probably mention it Every week until it happens with our show at the Marquee, December 8th with Elise Aaron, Skunk Motel, Jackson Weldon. Big, big show. Well, when you have your own podcast, you take advantage yeah. of these opportunities yeah. to promote such things. We already got a hotel ourselves. We're going to go and stay in the city. This is our big night out yeah, big in the metropolis out. of Halifax. Like I said last week, the more tickets we sell, the better Christmas present I can get Kristen. <laughs> so This is why I'm asking you, is there anything you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got my eye on some things. You want, I think I know what I'm going to get you this year. Really? Yeah, already. Okay. Well, I, I like surprises, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I also would like to announce or talk about an upcoming 
concert that I'm hosting at the gallery yeah. at Togetherland, we are welcoming Hearts of Kin. The gals. The gals, the Cape Breton sister duo who yeah. were podcast guests in the past. And so every once in a while, you and I will check in about like, what are some of your recent favorite episodes? And Hearts of Kin is in my top five. I, yeah. I really loved just getting to know them and they're just such kind people and sincere. I feel like they're the perfect fit for the gallery. So yeah, December 2nd, there's tickets on sale on my website already and uh, really looking forward to their performance. Awesome. Yeah, everything at Togetherland has been a huge hit and success so far so yeah, excited thanks. for that as I've, well. i have a number of events coming up if you look on my website there's a link in the show notes a there. schedule of events a schedule of yeah probably 10 things happening before the did end you of ever, the year did you ever have a teacher who said schedule i had a teacher that said writing implement instead of pen or pencil oh. which I, had, I thought was quite funny not bad, yeah. i had a not teacher <laughs> i had a teacher who said schedule wayne mcdonald yeah Tomato? Did you have any tomato people oh, in your I, life? I would punch them in the face. Yeah, they're no longer with us. Actually, my my neighbor Leona said tomato, but she she was clinically crazy. So. Yeah. Yes. So that that explains it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should dive into this chat. Okay. Before we get too off the yeah. rails. Uh, Chris DeCio coming at you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Here we go. Strong hands. Oh man. Did you know did you is that something you know about yourself? I yes. I'm actually (laughs) really ripped. You would not believe it because of Stella. Like Ah. yeah. Yeah, you're tiny, but you're you're I can see even in your hand. Like most people (laughs) don't notice how strong their hands are, but you have this. I'm telling you, it's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole thing. Which I never thought I would be. I wouldn't, I didn't think I'd find myself in this place, but here we are. That's part of what just like accepting. You're like, okay, it's protein powder from here on out. Okay. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with having strong hands. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's just knowing how to like keep up with that, I think is different. Like you got to be mindful of your calorie intake when you're doing that much activity or else you can get like really tired. Yeah. And this is, so you've had your actual physical body get stronger because of your pets yes walking them yeah lifting and just them. training yeah, yeah like uh yeah i've had injuries and i i've um like tennis elbow which i feel is unfortunate because i don't even play tennis <laughs> you know that seems a little unfair but i yeah definitely yeah yeah yeah. Well, you see, you hear that from moms with new babies yes. lifting the carriers and the same thing, like the weight idea. of it all the time. And she is, you know, she's 65 pounds and her breed of dog is the strongest breed of dog there is given her size. Um, They can pull from like from like stop to go. They have an incredible strength. So it really can catch you off guard if you're not. She's like a Ferrari. Out. Yeah, that's what it, <laughs> yes, you're right. She just takes off and it's like, oh my God. And then the pulling and lunging and yeah, she's, she's a big, she's a big hefty girl, but she's yeah. not that um, tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. How did, were dogs always an important thing in your life? No, 
They were not. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Not always, but I think that when I um I was living in a house and I was engaged and I thought, oh, you know, it'd be awesome to have a dog. And so that's when I did get my first dog, Apollo. He's a Portuguese water dog. And he is truly the most perfect dog. You can take him anywhere, do anything. He's happy, loves to play, loves to swim. Just the perfect dog. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that's what dogs are like, you know? Mm. That's just was my only like real experience. And then I was, um, I left that relationship and then I was on my own and um, with Apollo and I thought, you know, I thought I would have two dogs eventually and my whole plan was to foster a dog and just see what it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, see if I could kind of handle it. But yeah, yeah. We are currently fostering two kittens. We've had a number of cats that we fostered over the years, which is how we came to have a cat pet ourselves okay yeah so can relate to that and we found through fostering it's it's actually a really good way to not only learn that every animal has their own personality so like you're saying this illusion that oh this is what a dog is like yeah that's not necessarily the case because they're all very different and Mm -hmm. even with cats probably every animal but it's also we we ended up being what they call a foster fail because yeah. we finally fell in love with George's particularly personality, not because it was easy or he was necessarily the most loving or any of that. It was just something about him that, that clicked. So it's mm-hmm. a great way to kind of try them on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that happened to me, too, where I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, try this and see. And then she was with me for like five days. And I was like, okay, I I think I'm going to keep her. Let's just entertain that idea. And it was only a couple more days after that. And I decided to adopt her. And a big part of it was Apollo, too. Like, he had really taken to her and was, I felt like, good for her. And she was good for him. He Mm. was only 10 months old at the time. So I was really signing myself up for a a bigger task anyway, just being one person with two dogs. Um. But yeah, I think that it uh, it was a decision I made. And then we're, you know, talking about the book. It was about three months after I had adopted her that I start to see like all this reactivity in her, like trauma and all of sort of what she was about. Um, so tell yeah. us about your first day meeting Stella. Oh, my goodness. Um, I got the call early in the morning um, from a rescue group called Fly With Me Animal Rescue. So what had happened was I've on a Saturday night, I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and I had had a dream. And I don't ever remember my dreams. I can only think of a couple that I remember my whole life. So in this dream, I was running on a beach and looking ahead and I saw my sister and she was running with her dog, who's like a staffy mix, and he's brown and white. And I looked down to see my dog, Apollo, who's like a fluffy black dog. But I saw a gray and white dog who looked exactly like my sister's dog, but gray and white. 
And I just felt compelled, I guess, the next morning I thought about it like, you know, maybe I'll just look and see like if this animal rescue that I know about has any dogs that are looking for a home, a foster, you know, who look like her. And sure enough, there really truly was. But the interesting point is the dog's name was Joy. And so I was really keen on Joy. And I reached out to the rescue and they said, yes, it's a go ahead. So we did the tour of my house. And then on the uh, Thursday night, it was 8.30. And I got a call and they said, we can't give you Joy because the foster family she's with wants to keep her. But we have an identical looking dog who's gray and white, like same markings around her eyes. Her name is Selena. And like no pressure, but she will be euthanized in the morning. Oh, geez. so it's like, uh. OK, well, I'm already signed up for this foster experience. I will take any dog at this point because it's just something I want to do. But the she looks just like so I was like, yes. And in the photo, I thought she was like a beagle mix. I didn't quite. I just saw one kind of rough photo of her. Um, and then they put her on the bus. Yeah. And it's a three-day travel with like a whole bunch of dogs in this, you know, van kind of thing. From where to where? She came from Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. So they drive right through. And then I got a call from the rescue that they were arriving. You know, they kind of like keep, keep you posted along the way. Um, and it's wintertime, right? So it was cold. We didn't know if the weather was going to be great. But they showed up. And, yeah, when I pulled up in my car, it's blue. And she was just, like, looking at me right away. I'm <laughs> choking up. And like you said about your Georgie, like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, a knowing. And I just couldn't stop staring and I was just walking towards her and I just leaned over and she put her head down and I just held on to her and the mm-hmm. woman holding her was like oh my gosh it's like she was waiting for you Ugh. and I said is this okay like if I hold her and she's like yeah and she said she's yours <laughs> so then you know I filled the, the little paperwork thing and they give you like all the things you need to foster the crate food you know, leash, collar, and I just geared her up and put her in the car and was like, oh, my God, I'm taking her home. And someone else had Apollo, so we had a bit of time together in the house, um, and she just passed out, essentially. Yeah, exhausted. <laughs> so exhausted. And this this whole story is essentially what's in your book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that it is. And, um, yeah, I sort of speak to that idea of, like, having this dream and her having the same dream yeah yeah oh my gosh and at this point of meeting her did you know that you would keep her forever no the intention was just to foster yeah and we started i it's it's interesting because i was on instagram i had just a few like maybe 300 followers i was not really posting a lot but then i started posting like little pictures of her and little videos of her because I wanted someone to adopt her. Mm. Uh. Yeah, and then we made this, like, little video of me doing training drills with both of them, like, sit, down, paw, like, all these little things that they were doing together at the same time, which I just thought was so cute. And there was a family who was interested in 
you know, coming to see her. And before they did, that's when I was like, oh, I think I have to actually pull back on this a mm. little bit and see how I feel for a couple of days. And then you're deleting your Instagram account. Ah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually started just making more little videos. And I think that really, really helps me to connect with the community of women and families who have rescue dogs and rescue dogs who are reactive and also of the bully breed, right? Because that in itself is kind of like this particular group. And then there's, but there's a big, big community. Yeah. So I just was able to connect with people who are like me and going through the same kinds of things. And I don't think I could have gotten through that because my family was very concerned for my mental health when I adopted <laughs> Stella. I'm not kidding. It was, yeah, they would, they were very, very concerned. Mm. Yeah, that I had made a very big, de bad decision. Because she was a lot of work? Yeah, because she was a lot of work. I think my family in Ontario, the pit bulls are banned there, but mm. Stella is, her breed is called a bully but they look very similar. And she's, you know, a bully is like a, a combination of um, a pit bull terrier and a bulldog. So they have that blockhead. So um, I think they, maybe some of them thought that she would hurt me or hurt Apollo. And to their point, like I had, because I didn't know what I was getting into, I had taken a lot of... um chances I guess like I just was walking around downtown with her mm -hmm. like like a normal dog but she was freaking out like I fell I busted my knee I broke my pinky finger I had a concussion I was in <laughs> hospital like yeah it was like yeah right <laughs> okay so, that yeah that concern was warranted <laughs> <It> then was, <laughs> absolutely yeah for sure they were like what are you gonna do what what are you doing and I was like I don't know I don't know. Did you have just a knowing in you that you were meant to go through this process with this animal? Like, what was that connection like between you that was worth injuries and pain and judgment even? I think I had accepted that she was my family mm -hmm. and we were a family. And we were going to get through this no matter what. And I decided that after I wrote the book and that is what writing the book like allowed me to come to that conclusion. Mm. And it was really all just in one night. And I, it was in a moment where you're right. I was like, is this worth it? Like, what am I going to do? And so I had sat down to just like journal out my own thoughts and I was at my desk and it was like a dark and stormy night. And Stella was like laying down beside me. And I just had this thought, like, what if I wrote down her thoughts? Like if, if she was writing in a journal and over the last like few months, like going from her home, going to the shelter, being on this bus, taking this ride and arriving somewhere totally new. And then once I realized like, wow, like she's been through so much. Like, I don't even know the half of it. Mm. Surely if she got through all of that, like, I can do this. I can seek out a behaviorist. 
I can take a training, you know, course for reactive dogs. I can move out to the country. I can learn these things. This is within my capability. And really the whole experience, and I think the book is ultimately about that, about believing in yourself and not giving up on something that you really want. Yeah. It's a a children's book. I know. We'll say. Yeah. You know, it's, we'll talk about how beautiful it is. We'll get there. But I I feel like this is a book that is not just for people who have fostered animals. It's not just for children to read at night. It's it's really like this brief reminder, really, this story of resilience. And I love how you've described if she can go through that, I can at the very least. Yeah. Not that it's expected of you, but I, I see this as kind of a, that inspirational message that everybody needs to hear. Oh, I'm so glad. It's very you. universal in that way. I think so, too, because, you know, we've all been up against something that seemed insurmountable and we found it in ourselves to, like, keep going, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that that element of, like, being, you know, a family um, in listening to your podcast, and I know you just had a big event this weekend, right? A lot, Galactic Pie, which was so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And the significance of that date and, like, your mom not being with us anymore. Like, that being so sad. So I lost my mom when I was 19. Mm. And so, and our father wasn't in the picture. And so I think, like, I hadn't quite had that experience where, like, things got tough. And, like, my family, you know, my sister's there for me. But she's a younger sister. So I was sort of, like, the one to be, I wanted to be the one to be there for her. I didn't want her to have to be there for me so we've stuck together but like this was my family and I just wanted to do that because I felt like that was the right thing to do like ultimately and I think it was and resilience that you're showcasing in this book and that you've showcased in your your own life that's that's something that resonates with the entire world the entire population it's a human emotion that everyone everyone can get behind like when mm-hmm. you see a you hear a success story of someone who went through something hard and prevailed on the other side like everyone wants to cheer them on mm-hmm. and like this story you can like Kristen said it's it's a it's a children's book but it is this universal story that we we all want to cheer on and support i hope so and It's so funny. It is a children's book because I do not have children. So like talk about imposter syndrome, right? (laughs) Like I was like, oh my God, I have no business writing a children's book. It's been so long since I've written children's book. I just really wrote the story. Mm. And then I kind of sat with it for a few weeks, I think. And then I showed it to a guy named Bob Mercero, who's like an author and he does a lot of music stuff. And he said, you know, you you should really do something with this do something with it. And then kind of at the same time, I've reached out and I've chatted with Keontae Beals, who is a musician, and he also had published his first book around that time. And I don't think he knows what an inspiration is he is to me, like I tell him, but I had done a bit of work with him at one point. And just seeing him do that, I I was like, wow, okay, maybe this is what it could be, like a a picture book. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I did a, a mentorship with the Writers Federation. I signed up to be a member and they have this little program where you partner up with a published author and they read your manuscript. So that's when it really started to take the shape of a children's of it being a children's book. But when I went to Friesen Press, um, the publisher, to self-publish it, I was still stuck on this idea it would be an illustrated short story. But there's just no space for that specific kind of material, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a children's book. It's a graphic novel. Yeah. Like, it can't be an illustrated short story. There's no box for that. So I was like, okay. I can accept that. But it meant things like making the font larger than I had imagined because it needs to be easy for children to read. Mm -hmm. And I even kind of pushed back at certain points about things because they would say, well, it needs to be this way for children. I don't care about the children. (laughs) No, but I do. But like, I understand now going through that process, like, and I'm proud that it is a children's book. I can't even believe that children are going to read this. Like, I'm so excited. And families, too. Um, so, so yeah, I it, it is interesting. It is a children's book. And resilience, like, speaking of Keontae and you talking about resilience and making things, I have worked with musicians for, you know, 16, 17 years. Yeah. But I have a whole new understanding for what you do now, it, I, which blows my mind, honestly. I can't believe you do this. <laughs> I can't believe you make art like this. It's so, it's so emotional. <laughs> it's so emotional. It's so, uh, all the cliches you hear, it becomes part of your being. And um, things that I didn't realize, just didn't realize. Like, for example... You make it, right? It takes so long. I didn't realize when you share it with someone, what a big deal that is. Mm. And I've shared my link with like a dozen people. And some people I'm like full on text conversation. I want to see the, you know, send me the book, send me your link. I send the link. Nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that feeling of like, you're nervous walking around your house. Like maybe they don't like it. Right. Maybe I've made a huge mistake okay, wait, I need to rethink everything. It's it's a whole thing. And I can't tell you how many musicians have sent me their music. And yeah. I do listen to it, but I didn't realize like the waiting or the the nervousness. And maybe you can tell me, both of you, like, does that must go away. Well, <laughs> no! I think there's... I'm making a face that is like, of disappointment oh. for Krista. <laughs> there's always this level of attachment to your creations like you you can't create something completely in a vacuum and then just set it off to the world and just move on because you need that feedback and that audience the audience's reaction to to see what it what it actually does and what it can do and what it how it makes people feel and for me it's it's never never gone away and i i even feel like i can create a song and in in the studio and i'll invite Kristen in hey there's george come on in george oh hi george (laughs) george Kristen or george will come in to listen to my song 
But just just having another human presence in the room while I'm playing back a song that I wrote, like I get I get nervous, and then I I somehow hear the song in a different way. Like maybe it's a little thing. I'm like, oh, are the vocals too loud here, or whatever it may be? And then when I'm sitting with someone, it seems like I can finally tune into those things in a different way. Like my perception ability becomes different. I'm not I'm not sure the psychology behind that, but having another person in the room to hear what you've created while you're there changes how I listen to it as well. But yeah, that the feedback from other people, like I'm working on songs every day and I think I've got to a point where I know, okay, it's it sounds pretty good and I've written so many songs I can tell, okay, this is this is a great song. This one's not awesome, but it needs a little... I, I can tell that it's gotten to a point where it's good enough. It's just, I think humans just want to have people appreciate them. Like, you, you if no, no one likes what you, what you do, like, that's... There's something, something there that you need to change. So having that appreciative feedback and it doesn't always have to be oh this song's awesome i love it you're the best like you're you're not always going to get that yeah but i think when people are honest that's where you can grow the most as well Mm -hmm. yeah you're right because that's was my thinking too like okay well i mean even if you don't like it just you could say like i'm proud of you that you finished it (laughs) like yeah so anything at all and yeah, I'm glad that you have brought this up because it's something I, I, I think probably every creative maybe has a different relationship with that. And I, I almost wonder the spectrum of honesty because I think we want for it not to matter. The art that we create should be for us first and foremost. And however it's received, you know, we're told, ah, oh, it shouldn't matter. Like it's just about your own feeling and your own self-worth and all of this. But I, 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 it's very unrelatable for that to be true. Like it does, it does matter how it's received, not only psychologically and emotionally, but when you're making a career out of this, it matters all the more. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like you having this, this show Mm -hmm. that I've just finished my biggest art show of my career and the most hours put into a project, the most meaning behind it. And I didn't get the turnout I was hoping for. And it was still great. Trust me. Like it was the people that were there were the people that were meant to. And in hindsight, like who cares if you didn't get the exact numbers. Okay. Oh, sorry. Oh yes. I didn't mean to articulate. And I'm like, no, the people that were there, I didn't get the numbers, like the, the ticket sold kind of thing that maybe I had in my head was going to mean this was good. Yeah. Um, but the people that were there though, in fewer numbers were, the exact perfect audience that I could ever dream of. So, you know, even this far into being an artist, just a week ago, I I learned something where it was the quality over quantity. Yeah. And and things like that. But Mm -hmm. this, it's so interesting that you have been working in the arts with artists for a lifetime. And this is kind of your first flavor of what it feels like to be on the other side of this. Yeah, I think so. And absolutely, especially something that is 
like visually creative, something that people can like hold in their hand and have like in their house. Mm. Like the idea of your vinyl being in people's houses mm. that they see every day. Like that idea, because I did the podcast called Granted in 2019. And that was definitely a creative project. And it, and I had John Mullane from In Flight Safety mm-hmm. do that with me. And he was so encouraging. And um, it was really something that I did because I wanted to like give back to the community. I had been a grant writer for a long time. And like, I really just wanted to unveil like, this is what it's about. And, you know, just have the conversation about it so people didn't feel so uncomfortable about the topic and did and they felt like it was more accessible I think Mm -hmm. so but you're right with the book and it's also like a different audience like I was specifically imagining just my friends listening to that podcast and when they did I was thrilled and that's why I did it and I was so happy and with this book the idea that like strangers will have it who I don't know Mm -hmm. it's I don't know that's such a new feeling yeah is it exciting are you nervous are you I'm nervous excited relieved I'm I'm I can't believe I still have more to look forward to because I feel like I've already been through such a huge process Mm -hmm. (laughs) to have it finished is like wow and then And this is funny, too, because this is the part where in my career I would sort of like kick into gear working with other artists because it's like, okay, you've got your record now. Great. Let's. Now the hard work begins. Yeah, right. Let's all do, roll out the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I do, I've had moments in the last like week where I've been like setting things up and I'm like, man, I don't want to be feeling like I've just run a marathon. I'm going to trip over the finish line, right? Like, I really want to do this part well because I do hope that a lot of people read it and enjoy it. So, so yeah, it's um, it's been a definitely a, a shift in my perspective and a, a whole appreciation. Like, I almost want to work with artists more. Because in the last few years, I've worked specifically more with arts organizations. Um, But I would love the opportunity to do that because I think I could, you know, just see the project differently. And that could happen Hmm. at some point, yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by the amazing Wilson's Coastal Club. This resort has eight cottages ranging from bachelor to three bedroom units. So you can take the whole family along, including your fur babies. Dogs are welcome. Mallory and Kyle, the owners, are two awesome people who have created the perfect getaway for you. And we've stayed there ourselves. And, you know, we felt like two little kids on vacation. This hidden gem is right on the ocean. They've got a private beach with loungers for all of their guests, e-bikes, and all of the water sports like stand-up paddle boards, kayaking, swimming, and the ambient sound of the waves. A lot of wildlife there, too. Loons. Ducks. Seals. Cranes. Deer. Bunnies. And more bunnies. Woo! (laughs) As if this place wasn't awesome enough, They're also offering fitness classes on the beach, wellness retreats, and meditation workshops. Wilson's Coastal Club is open all year round. And if you're worried about the Nova Scotia winter nipping at your nose, don't fret, they've got you covered. 
they're offering Canadian-made cedar wood-fired hot tubs and oceanfront 10-foot red cedar panoramic view barrel saunas coming this fall. Located at 7532 St. Margaret's Bay Road in Bootlears Point, Nova Scotia, you can book your stay at wilsonscoastalclub.com. And if you book before October 30th and use the discount code Mike and Kristen, you'll receive 15% off your stay. Woo! Private beach! Bonfires! Whoa, good times in the maritime! S'mores! And I think it's really important to know what your goals are for for the project. Like we were you like you were saying when someone finishes up an album and you're like, okay, now we really gotta move into the marketing stage and really pound the pavement to try to find listeners and book shows and all the things you have to do. But at the same time, if that's not the band's goal, like they just want to create something that their friends here, like yeah. it's not that big a deal to try to create all these opportunities. And with a book it's also the same. Like, what are the goals that are attached to that? Are you trying to reach the widest audience as possible, or do you want your friends to hear it, or whatever it may be? And then figuring out how to adapt to that and f- move forward with the best plan. So, that's such a good point because I really have been thinking about that lately, you know, with the timing of everything. And I, I wondered from you two, like, in music, there are recognizable awards, accolades, achievements, right? Like you sell out a show, you, um, you know, sell 500 albums or something. Yeah. But when it comes to having a children's book or a book, I didn't even know until like fairly recently, like, what is that big achievement? What, what's the goal? Like, is it an award for... From the Writers' Federation or the Atlantic Book Awards? Is it mm. getting a review from a specific person or place? Like, what are you supposed to do with a book? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with it? I don't, what what, do you, is it? what do you want to do with it, I guess? I like, guess, that's, yeah. That's, Those that's, recognitions do exist. Yeah. And, and they're lovely, but I imagine like any type of art that you make, again, it goes back to the question of, does that matter? Does it matter if I get an award? You've still, you, your achievement is here and it's complete and I'm holding it in my hands and it feels nice and it's beautiful and it's, it's very moving. So yeah. that's, that's the award, I suppose. I think so too. And I think you're right. Those things, like you were saying about marketing, like awards, those things really are to elevate your profile and to like generate awareness for what you're doing. And I think that will all come. The interesting thing too with a book Unlike an album or a single, I think it has a longer shelf life. So you're right. When I was doing the marketing plan, I was like, okay, I got to do all these things. But now I'm like, well, some of those things can wait. I don't want to do all the things in the first like two weeks or something Mm -hmm. and then have it sort of sit. But yeah, I think I've just taken a, a little bit of a slower approach. Plus, I'm only one person and I can really only do so much in a day to like push it forward so each day I just try to do one thing. Yeah, that's yeah. great. With our book, we we really wanted to treat it as a learning process as well because it's our it's our first time ever releasing it out to the world and first time really in that industry. So there's just so many variables we just don't know anything about and 
we just knew that the whole process would be learning new things and we can take this information to the, to the next project and do something even better. But we, we treated it as an investment into our knowledge towards the publishing world and how that whole industry works and we we feel like we do know a lot now and we we did have success with, with it and just in terms of i guess the amount of people who read it we we didn't necessarily win any awards and we found out it is really hard to get nominated for something with a self-published book and that's something even before we did it i talked to some authors and they said you you won't be nominated for awards well, who's to say? <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks and, a lot, bud. And you, you obviously can be nominated for an award, but it's just, it's just harder. Like yeah. when, well, it's like the record label, you know, in the music industry, yeah. right? Like there's only a few record labels, and they kind of dominate the charts and they yeah. dominate the awards, and like it's it, the same yeah. thing, yeah. exactly. And I love how you said that it was an investment for you both and in the publishing world yeah, because I did have a thought at one point like, okay, I would not expect if I were working with an artist that their first record would be the best thing they ever make. It's, I know a first record like could be an EP and it's like a calling card. Like this is what I can do. This is a bit about what I'm, you know, about. Um, And so I hope that's what this book is for me, but also for my illustrator, Gina Stavro, who is phenomenal and just starting out in her own career. And I just love everything that she did with the book. And it was the easiest thing in the world to work with her. Like she did sketches, sent me the illustrations and the end. It was just so amazing. And I had a feeling it could be that way because I just simply loved her work and I felt like whatever she did, I would love. We made a couple of adjustments. Like the first scene is, um, you know, Stella out sort of in the streets and um, it says the leaves are changing on the trees. And so she added a few little like leaves there to show that part, you know, but other than those things, it really... Well, well, something beautiful. An artist's latest work is always essentially the resume. Like this is this is who I am at this point in time. This mm-hmm. take what you will mm-hmm. from it, mm-hmm. but we don't often have to. We don't write a resume and hand that to a bar for booking. Like we, yeah. hey, here's my latest recording. Mm-hmm. Will you take us? Kind yeah. of thing. And it's the same with with a, a book. Like what the opportunities you're trying to find will be found through what you've just created and the lessons you've learned along the way and the connections you made and just where that will set you on your path. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think just the, the latest thing you've created is your 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 calling card, essentially. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the colors that you've selected or that your illustrator has selected for these pages? So I know that we're not video here that... They're almost this, they're like this beautiful lavender and teal blues. And why, why this palette? Yeah. So dogs have a limited view of colors, so they don't really see reds. So they see purples kind of more like grays and like the purple in the book. And they see blues and greens. 
And so if you look on, you know, if you Google it, like colors dogs can see, they show you like this little spectrum of colors. So she was able to choose. Yeah. Mm. And it's because the book is written from Stella's perspective. And so a lot of times you're looking out from her point of view. And so I just thought it would be so cool to do it that way. And I had done this, you know, a couple years ago, but now I'm seeing it is a bit of a trend. I think there's even like an Instagram filter or something you can put on your video to see something the way a dog sees it. Mm. Cool. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, that but it's, a, it's an added detail that not everyone would know, but I appreciate so much that you've thought about oh, this. Thank you. Yes, I know. It was one of the earlier ideas and Gina, again, was so down and her work really is like, this is a true example, and I hope she would say this, too, of her work because it very much is, like, sort of like this diluted watercolor kind of dreamlike um, style mm -hmm. that, yeah, kind of really suited the color palette as well, I think. So Mike used the language of your latest work being, in part, like a resume, but I have to say, your actual resume is pretty jacked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have a very long history in the arts in this province. So I'd like to kind of switch gears and go back yeah. to where that inspiration started. Oh, gosh. Do you know at all, Mike? Uh, I know you used to work at Music Nova Scotia years ago. I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't mean, know. I don't know where it started before then, but. Okay, yeah. Well, it's, um, so I knew you were going to ask me this question and I, I've probably gone over in this mind, this in my mind a dozen times. So, cause it's kind of a longer story, but essentially it was like the right timing a kind of scenario, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd been working in advertising and I was moonlighting. So I was actually just getting up from my job kind of a weird scene in this agency but I was like leaving and going doing work with my friend named Erin she was a casting director and I was doing work as her assistant and she called me up one day and said you got to come down here and see this um this audition tape this guy's name's Ryan Cook and he had done an audition for an Atlantic Lottery Corporation ad where he was singing no when to hold them no one to fold them <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he had been doing work as a casting assistant for the other casting director in town named Sheila Lane, but he had gotten jumped outside the Lord Nelson Hotel and he had been off on EI. And so he was just kind of doing like little pickup things like audition for a commercial. He had a big film background already at this point and um, had just started making like country western music because up until that point he had been doing like something very different like heavy metal scream kind of music and so um i checked out like his picture she printed off i'm like oh he's so cute and she's like yeah he sings country music he's playing a show we should go like see him play and i was like okay cool yeah and then before i went out that night i had like looked up some of his music online and I listened to the first song called Children Smiled. And like, I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life. I remember exactly where I was. I can like see myself sitting in the chair. And I was like, what is this? Who is mm. this guy? 
what the heck? Like, this is so wild. And so we went to see a show and I was chatting with him and I'd put in my notice at this agency and my whole plan was like, I was going to go and be a publicist in film. I don't know. I mean, this was just my idea, my like 26 year old self. But I had done quite well in advertising. Like I was an associate. I was like a production manager. I was kind of killing it with like business pitches. We were writing a lot of pitches. And so it was in September and like, he asked me if I wanted to go to this like press conference thing for Music Nova Scotia. And I didn't know what that was, but I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do whatever. So we went and we're standing there in the brewery and like Laura Simpson's there, Johnny Stevens, Scott Long, all these artists, everyone knows each other. I'm like looking around like, what is this? Like, I don't get it. I've never seen anything like this. And then he gets nominated <laughs> for an award <laughs> are standing there I'm like what the heck so you know we just like we just started dating I totally fell in love with him and his music and he let me do so many things he's like what do you think about grant writing I'm like let me see it mm. I wrote a grant met Mickey Quaze and realized really quickly that if I wanted to do publicity marketing like why aren't there marketing agencies who are doing music stuff and then I'm like oh because record labels do that there's no record labels here. So like, what if I could, I can do that. I can do marketing for records. Like I've done it for Eastlink and a bunch of boring stuff. Um, so that's how it really got started. And at that time there was like sort of this circle of people who were doing that kind of music, like con alt country, like Christina Martin, Kim Wempe, Carmel Michael, uh, Norma McDonald. So I started writing grants for them and it was like, okay, well, we'll write the grant, get the funding and you can write me in the funding application so that the money that you pay me is coming from the funding. So that's how I could fund the project work I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I think I was particularly good at it because I had been doing this like business pitching and like writing a lot of like big proposals for that kind of thing. So I took a picture of my first grant. I had fanned it all out. It was like 48 pages. I'm sure Mickey was like, what is this? I had done research and oh my God. So yeah, I always, I just became like super passionate. And that, I think that writing that I did just led me to do so many things. So it all started with a guy. It all a started. A musician. I know. Such a common story. Uh, such a cliche. <laughs> I fell in love with a musician. And, you know, I still Oh, girl, we've got him. that in common. Well, you know, they're just so talented, right? They're <laughs> so charismatic cute. and like, oh, my heart. But, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that is truly how it all started. And I feel so lucky. The industry side of things, we've heard there are kind of a lot of gaps here in the province. So I'm curious to hear more about, did you find that your work was kind of filling filling that gap that wasn't there or like there's nothing really to compare it to? So how did you figure all this out? How were you guided through doing this work and writing grants and working on behalf of other musicians without that example to follow? that's a good question I haven't thought about that I think I was so 
in love with the scene and so passionate. And I felt so connected for the first time to the people, like the artists who I was working with. I was like, yeah. oh, these are my kind of people. And you're right. The idea of uh, this independent management services, like there's a few companies like that now, the Syrup Factory. Mm -hmm. But I really did do it for like a decade. And I think it helped that I wasn't trying to be like of a particular brand or something. I was always like myself. And so that made it like a little bit easier maybe to do the things I wanted to do and not try to fit into any kind of like particular business model. But I felt like I was on to a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was able to like connect with people who needed my services. So that really just kept me going, I think. Are you still doing any grant writing? No, it's interesting. I haven't. Um, when I wrote, when I wrote, when I did the podcast Granted, I, and you know, I had worked with a lot of like different artists, right? And I guess I had always hoped that maybe someday I wouldn't have to be doing grant writing. Because I had hoped that people would feel confident or like even there were some artists I would write a grant for them and then they wouldn't hire me again because but then I would sit on a jury and see their future grants and I could see that they had taken the one we did together and adapted it. And I love that. I'm happy. Like it made me happy to be able to leave them with something you know, mm. that they could a good like, foundation. Yeah. Had been, yeah. This is the process. We work through it together. And, you know, mm. I get approached sometimes, but it it's not always worth the money. And um, I have a very high success rate. And I think people might think like, oh, you must be a really good writer. But what they don't know <laughs> that I was very selective and I would really only write a grant if I thought that somebody would get it. Like, for example, someone reached out to me recently and was like, okay, I want to apply for this. They had written the whole grant and sent it to me to review and said, I want to apply for a Canada Council of the Arts Explore and Create Fund. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, not many people from Atlantic Canada get that funding. And if you go to Canada Council for the Arts website and you download this document and I sent it to them I said search your program like or I sent him the link and said search your program and see all the people who got funded and see if you fit in there and they were like god damn it I don't and I was like right because you're doing like commercial music mm. And the people you need to have 22 violins <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, someone hitting a <laughs> right. random can from 1927 yeah, that they dug up in an archaeological day <laughs> yeah. in Jordan. Exactly, or something. it needs to be interpretive dance, something or and, other. And they so. get 180 grand. Yeah, it's dizzying, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but I did tell them, but I said there's this fund called the Creative Industries Fund that's provincial, very accessible. There's no deadline, and what you have written, I think, would be perfect for it. Mm -hmm. So, why don't you get in touch with the program officer, have a conversation, and I'm sure you would be able to like adapt this. But, you know, to your point in saying that there are a lot of gaps in the industry, there are, but here's what I think people might not see. And this is what kind of happened to me 
is, so I at one point was managing an artist named Rhea May, mm-hmm. who you could say is like one of the most successful artists to come out of the province, honestly, in decades. Mm-hmm. Like record sales alone, huge. Who would have thought, right? So I, I did. I believed in her so much. And so I took her on like way early on. And she was a keener. I remember she called me on my birthday. It was a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And she basically just launched into this whole plan of us working together and writing a grant, her album. And I was like, sold. I was so impressed by her right away. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what happened is she, you know, made some music and we under your skin and put it on the radio and then someone from a major label like heard it right and at that time she was also in the studio with classified and he was the person who kind of hooked her up with this connection and it went through and so i'm her artist manager right and i'm like holy shit but what inevitably happened and of course would happen and ultimately i wanted to have happened was a bigger artist manager came in from toronto and just scooped her right up. Of course. She's got a major label record deal. I'm a small-time manager, Sherry Jones, you know, sidekick. <laughs> like, I have an arsenal of tools, but nothing to, com- <clears throat> excuse me, nothing to compare, right, to what an artist manager, who she has now, could do. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't expect her to stay with me. So while you can be an industry professional in the music business, it is tough that there is like a ceiling to that. Even if you, like that would be the next hurdle. I think if I were to take my career like in an artist management role to the next level, I had connections in Toronto, like a booking agent there, Tom Kemp, who's now like the VP or president, I think of Feldman. And, you know, he was on board and like later took on in-flight safety who I managed. And so I had that too, but it was still wasn't enough and it wouldn't be enough. So you're right. Like it's tough. I think even now to still figure out like how can the industry play a role in supporting artists and still make a living. But I feel like you're saying it's, it's not enough. The connections you have, I feel like maybe it's not enough to take someone to a level that's like international maybe like, like Justin where Bieber or Drake yeah, or something but, yeah <laughs> but I don't know if that's what anyone in the east coast is really expecting like people are just hoping to have someone who can help guide their career in a awesome way and maybe they may are able to make a living at it but not yeah. maybe not make a million dollars but make 60 grand a year or something yeah you absolutely know? yeah and I think you're right like I after that I did manage um, a duo, Ben Miller and Anita McDonald, and they were, you know, a Celtic duo. Yeah. Anita um, does pilot dancing and, you know, sings in Gaelic. You couldn't ask for a better. She'd get the Canada Council grant. That's right. Yeah. I know. Why didn't we apply? <laughs> but they, you know, they were obviously very, very uh, marketable as a yeah. band. And, you're, and I did. But I guess to like, when you're starting out, And like how you're saying there's no like real framework for even talking about the book. Like what is success in this role? What does that look like? What is the highest achievement? And so I guess that's a good point that you make, Mike, is not everybody wants that. But Rhea specifically did like her dream at one time was to have a song on C100. 
So that's like, a very, it. yeah, it's a very specific like path or, you know, to get there. So, so yeah, but there is still a ton of opportunity, I believe. And you, you can, I guess, make a living, make a career. It's just understanding like the situation you're in. And I mean, by all means, go for it a hundred percent. Are you still doing artist management or no. have any desire to? Yeah, I think I, I definitely do. Like doing this book, like I mentioned, sort of sparked that um, in me. And I'm always sort of keeping a tab on what's happening in the scene, I guess, a little bit. Um, I wouldn't discount it in the mm-hmm. future. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, you're very connected. like, And I feel like the relationship building and the trust that that comes with is one of the harder things to teach someone. I mean, you're either a good networker and communicator or, I mean, you can work on that, but that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a strength that you will always have. I think so. And, you know, I did work with Sherry Jones, who a lot of people know. She manages Joel Plaskett, Gordy Sampson, David Miles. So learning from her for like six years, I did learn a lot. And I feel like that, obviously, that experience like has helped me so much. And mm-hmm. And you also taught at NSCC? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I did that. Let me yeah. remind you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for six years, which is like one of the coolest freaking things because now all kinds of students who I taught are making up the scene, like doing the coolest things with the pavilion, like playing in bands. I mean, oh, my God. I can't tell you whenever they come up in my socials, I'm like, Oh, I'm just so rooting for them. I hope you all know that. If you're listening and you are one of my students, please know that I am rooting for you. I see you out there doing doing music, and I'm so happy for everyone who's still sticking it out in any way. What was that experience like being around a, the younger generation coming up and getting to fill their minds with all the things you learned along the way? <laughs> you know... Well, I took I took over the course originally from Matt Charlton. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because he said to me, um, just be careful because they'll believe anything you say. <laughs> and you're right. It is like an influential. That is a good cautionary, actually. Yeah. It's it because I'm sure we've all had teachers who made such an imprint on us. And so I definitely took the role like very seriously. But also Craig Mercer was there and mm-hmm. he's a wicked person. So, like, couldn't have asked for a better teacher at the time to, like, lead that program, music arts, music business, you know, recording arts. And what was it like? It was it was a lot like being on a stage. I mean, it's fun to be up in front of a room and command people's attention and tell stories. And you also leave with that feeling, like, that vibration-y kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um after you leave every class because you just are excited about what people were talking about, what they're learning. And it's also cool to see their friendships form. Like you start the Mm -hmm. new semester and nobody knows each other. And by the end of it, there's like boyfriends and girlfriends and roommates and bands Mm -hmm. and, you know, in such a short time, like really like eight months, it's not that long. Mm -hmm. And you're witnessing all of this unfold throughout the school year. It's wild. And even now, it's so wild to see them, like, what they're doing. And I love it. Did it feel like a lot of responsibility? 
Yeah, I think there was a a sense of responsibility of what they're going to do after. And I think just like what we're speaking about, right? You do worry like there's only so many opportunities. There's so many, only so much um, like solid opportunities, like working at Sonic. I mean, there could be one person who does an internship there or one person goes to Halifax Pop Explosion or rest in peace. Mm. Or, you know, someone goes to Music Nova Scotia ECMA. Okay, that's four students, but you've got like 25 and then in this class and then 25 in the other two. So like, where are they going to go? Yeah. (laughs) I remember, well, I took the recording arts program there. And I remember the, the first day and the very last day, the teachers we had at the time, also Mike Ryan and uh, (laughs) Terry Pulliam was there. And they really drove it into us that the way to survive, if this is the, the path you want to go down is to be able to do multiple things. Like they, they've made it clear, like you're to just whatever, just record in your studio is, is great. And that can be one way to make money, but maybe you're going to do some odd live sound gigs. Maybe you're going to be playing in a band. Maybe you're going to do this or that, but they, I think they just knew how hard it was to actually survive in this industry. So they, they tried to, to drive it home that we, different revenue streams ultimately yeah. is the the way to do it. It is for sure. And I, I, it, I'm sure some people think about that and they think, oh, what a bummer. Like all I want to do is be in the studio and recording. But when yeah. you really think about it, like all businesses diversify, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's general, just small yeah, business advice. Just, yeah. Like it's tough to just do one thing. Like even myself as a grant writer, I was always kind of doing like other kinds of writing for whatever stuff was happening. Right. So yeah, I think that is a good advice. And um, that's one of the cool things that I see in the students who I mm-hmm. taught is that they are doing so many different things. But with the same skill set too. Like yeah. It's not like one is you're creating music in a studio and the other is you're a professional juggler on the side. You know, it's there's very go to that show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah try to get try to align them as much as you can. Yeah. For sure. You're right. And because there is sometimes like when you need to go take a job like serving tables or making shakes or whatever yeah. the case, like to keep it going. And that's fine. Very common. Yep. Yeah. So common. Super common. I even did it myself at certain times. Like I worked at the Carlton one summer hosting. Yeah. Like at the front because I was teaching. So like I'd have the summers off. And um, I ran an Airbnb for a couple years that mm-hmm. like helped because the summertime would be really busy. Yeah. So I had a bit of income there, which is different. Um, but yeah, that's good. You advice. mentioned earlier uh, that you do journaling and you're, you've done grant writing and now you're a published author. So writing seems to be a common thread through your life. Do you find it therapeutic? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. And I know that you're both like spiritual people, too. And so this might not sound weird when I say it, but like I use it as a way to like manifest things. Yeah. And do you write mantras and affirmations? Is that more something that's in your mind? What does manifestation look like? I think depending on what I'm hoping for, like... 
I think that like I'm open to it being different than what I imagined. Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, like in 2018, I was the festival manager for the Halifax Jazz Festival. I'm just cringing at myself because now that I'm actually saying that I did this, it's like people might hear this and be like, what? But I actually, I wanted that so badly. I wanted that so badly. And I had to do an interview for it. And I hadn't done a job interview in so long, but like to get the contract, I had to meet with like a panel of people. And um, afterwards, I just came home and like I hadn't had like festival manager experience. So I could understand why they weren't going to take a chance on me. But I just wrote down. That's an example of like a mantra. I just wrote down. um, You will get the job. You will get the festival manager. No, it's something like that. You will get the job to manage the Halifax Jazz Festival. You will get the job to manage the Halifax Jazz Festival. I just wrote it down like pages of it, pages mm-hmm. and pages. Mm-hmm. And I just set it aside and left it. And then for this book, there was like recently a full moon. Oh, wow, we're getting really wonky now. So I went outside <laughs> and like, you know, I just had known it was this like special moon and I just wrote down like what my hopes were for the book. And then I put it under my pillow and then I woke up the next morning and I had emailed Anna Almeida, who's with CTV. Um, she does the morning show with them. Mm-hmm. And um, we're kind of friends because she also has a rescue dog and um, named Bailey, who passed away a few months ago. So we, we had been corresponding about that. And I had sent her the book, another instance where I sent it and I didn't hear anything back. And I was like, oh, no. But that next morning I woke up and she had sent me a message saying, like, we want to get you on the show. Mm. So they're coming to the house next Thursday. Oh, exciting. I know. So I'm super excited for that. But when I had written it down, I was just like, I hope this book, you know, becomes something bigger than I could imagine it to be. And and to me, like, it's so hard to define that, right? But knowing, like, oh, wow, you know, Anna really liked it and wants wants to have me on the show to talk about it like wow that's it's tv like i'm used to doing that for other people you know to do it for yourself like yeah that's one idea of it when you were writing the book did you have an audience in mind like were you picturing the person who would be reading it were you picturing like i guess families parents reading it to kids or because i i know when part of the process of our book like in, in the process of us learning how to f- put something out there in the world, a lot of advice was just create the audience who is going to be be receiving this ultimately at the end and then try to, you, you don't want to like shift how you're going to write completely or anything, but you're like, if you come to a point where you have to make a decision, like does this fit in line with the audience that I have envisioned? I mean, yes, it did at some point. You're right that <clears throat> that was a consideration because when I wrote the story, it was just to put down my thoughts. And then I had this creative idea to like write it from her perspective and this, you know, about her freedom journey, they call it. And so when I started, you know, when I did the mentorship and realized, okay, this is going to be a children's book. Okay. So that did factor in. So there were two kind of changes that I had made to the book 
um, that made it a little less sad. Um, and that was because I was thinking in my mind, like, okay, if children read this, like, I don't want them to be traumatized. (laughs) So I took out a scene where Stella gets spayed and she wakes up like after that surgery. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a line in the book where it says like where she's on the truck coming to like her final destination. And she says, um, um, we're each in our cage with a blanket and a toy. And it used to say, some of us are crying. But I took that out. And when I did, it actually kind of helped elevate like the ending part of the book. Because then without reading that, the next scene is about her dreaming of running on the beach with her family and that she believes she's destined for great things. And then they, you know, the truck stops, the doors open. And so it kind of like was a good thing for the story. But I still have not had any children read the book. And like, it didn't occur to me that I should do that Mm. (laughs) until my sister said, you know, has any kids read the book? I was like, oh, shit. No. no. And still now, no, I don't know of any kids who've read it. So I really don't know how it's going to be received. Um, I do think, you know, my very specific audience would be like people like me who have a reactive rescue bully breed dog. But then it's like people like me who have a reactive rescue dog. And then maybe people who just have um, reactive dogs who aren't rescues. And then maybe it's like families who have dogs you know but it's also just the story of resilience too right like right yeah you can tap into those wider wider themes too. that's a good point the children's book for adults yeah, <laughs> yeah. like well, on the sex in the city episode when carrie bradshaw writes the book about little debbie and her magical cigarettes what oh my <laughs> god i don't know this i've watched i'm sure every episode of she, okay. It was her way of kind of getting around a pitch that she was unprepared for. She was like creeping her partner's ex-girlfriend or something like that. But it, it was what I remember about that episode was, oh, wait a minute. There actually isn't such a thing as children's books for adults that I know of. And that's a clever idea. Yeah, I know. Why not? But yeah, I wish I wish there were. I think there are some books that have become timeless, like um, that book by Robert Munch, Love You Forever. You know, Robert Munch in general. Right. Exactly. I think that is a book that people often point to and say, like, it's for kids, but adults too. Mm -hmm. get the deeper meaning of it. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that it went from something happening in real life to an idea to now you're holding the physical copy in your hand. I remember when we we got our shipment of books in the mail and we. We cut those boxes open. That was that was something else to take them out and smell them and just feel all that hard work in your hands. It's a, such a rewarding feeling. And you've been through that and you're out on the other side and whatever happens now is all ultimately just gravy. You, As long as you're proud of what you created, it doesn't really matter what happens. Like you... You're ultimately the the one that matters in this. You created this, and other people will benefit from it. But if you're proud of it, then you've won. Yeah, 
I think you're absolutely right. I think you're, that is so right. And, you know, speaking of your show this weekend, and I mean, it's one of the things I had learned to, um, in music is it's not about how many people are in the room. It's about who's in the room. And I think it's like, it's not about what, if this goes on to win awards or be <clears throat> sort of praised in a big public way. I think mm -hmm. you're right. It had that moment of feeling like I needed that or wanted that in order to, for it to be a success. But I think you're right. Like just having it done is like, okay, that that's what a wonderful feeling. And of course you do want people to appreciate it. Like that's just, so. that's just natural. That's just being for, a human. But yeah, for myself and for Gina too, because I think mm. she's yeah. just so wonderful and I hope she gets a lot out of it too. I'm sure she has. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Congratulations on this achievement. Where should we send our listeners to find your, your book and you? Oh, thank you so much. So it will be available on the Friesen Press website. And if you're listening to this podcast and you see my name on your phone screen or computer screen, uh, my website is com, and you could see more information about it there. I'll be adding links. As you know, yeah. it'll show up like on Amazon and Walmart and Barnes and Noble over the coming days. So I'll be adding links there. Thank you so much. We'll include all those links in the show notes so people can can find it. And yeah, we appreciate you being here and sharing your story and yeah, spending some time with us. It means a lot. Oh my gosh, it means so much to me too. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, folks. There you go. Chat. Another chat in the books. Us sitting down in the studio saying things with our mouths. With our mouths. Listening with our ears. I think that's the best body part to be speaking with. <laughs> you other... don't always agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we said some things. We heard some things. We responded. Went well, I think. It's, yeah, things are, things are going great. We're just trucking along. We got Music Week coming up. Yeah. Uh, November 1st, 2nd, 3rd in that and space. And we're, we're nominated. Mike and Chris in the podcast is nominated for an award. So the Coast uh, Awards will be announced early November. Yeah. And then <clears throat> Music Week Awards shortly after. So we're up for two. Ooh. But it's the nominations that are, that, that recognition is very, very thoughtful. Yeah. So we're just, we're going to go enjoy. You've got a show Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, showcase at Music Week and... We just love checking out new bands. And we're going to be taping episodes while we're there, too. Yeah, that's right. And we'll bring packing up the studio, all this gear. Yeah, so instead of Hot Jupiter Sounds, you will be in a dive motel in Yarmouth. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's. Who perfect. wouldn't want to have that experience, yeah. really? Well, they'll be lined up at the door. <laughs> well, we're going to we'll take in every moment. Yeah, looking forward to it. And thanks again, everyone, for spending time with us. We're here every Wednesday. We can always use subscriptions and reviews. They help us a lot, spread the word, and amplify the voices of our amazing guests. Thanks, buds. Talk soon. <laughs>